friends. Welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. Well, I'm super excited to be here today with Kendall Haft and super fun because we just kind of connected and met through Instagram and now I'm getting to see your face over Zoom. So this is super fun. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for being open to new connections. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's really fun getting to meet other creatives around the world and especially just connecting through this podcast is such such a joy. So I'm excited to get to know you today and I would love to start off. I know you have quite the range of, you know, work that you're doing and different areas of the arts that you've touched throughout your career and your life. And I know specifically right now doing a lot of poetry in writing and dance. So I would love to actually turn it over to you and let you just introduce yourself, share a little bit about what you're up to, and then we'll kind of get into, you know, the background of your story. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I um, grew up kind of in a creative family. My dad's a poet. He kind of taught me how to write. We were in the oh, mountains cool. of Colorado. Yeah. Childhood uh, homeschooling in the mountains, five kids nice. and just a lot of like, yeah, creative expression. My mom is a, a piano player and my dad plays guitar. And so we had family bands, and just a lot of freeform art and creativity. Mm-hmm. My brother is actually a film director in LA, okay, uh, cool. screenwriter. My other brother, he's working in film in South Florida. My sisters are, you know, they're all create, we're all creative. Yeah. And it's, I think we helped each other a lot with that. Mm-hmm. So I like memorizing Shakespeare when I was a kid and like putting together little plays. And so just a lot of, but never really picking a genre. Gotcha. Okay. Kind of being like, ah, oh, man, but I, I, I majored in opera in my undergrad, but like, I want to study poetry now. And like, mm-hmm. so that's, that's been fun too, to just explore and, and see how those kind of iterations weave together. But focusing on poetry now, I have a collection of poems and then also a creative nonfiction book. And those are kind of both up for publication now being birthed simultaneously. So Wow, that's awesome. And then you're also a professor as well, correct? That's right. That's right. Yes. I teach writing and effective speaking, but also now ethics and critical thinking, which has been especially fun. Yeah, (laughs) that would be some fun conversations, I'm sure, in those classes. So I'm excited to hear more (laughs) about that. But yeah, thank you for that intro. It kind of gives us a little bit of a, a background foundation to go off of. And I bet you're just times getting together family are probably very fun creating together. So do you guys still get together pretty regularly? We do like once a year, we're sort of spread out, but we had a really fun gathering like last Christmas. And it's fun because my husband, um, I've been married about 10 years and he he's from a family of just one sibling. Oh yeah. Very, okay. <laughs> very kind of quiet and everything's nice at the dinner table and all this. And so <laughs> It was kind of an exciting surprise for him to be part of my family, but he he really loves the adventure and the excitement of it. So <laughs> that's so fun. Yeah, it's cool. Then your family expands when you get married and you have, you know, this different dynamic that you kind of get to know. I love that as well. It's really fun. So yeah, definitely love your variety of experiences and different art forms that you've been working in. And I'm super curious to hear what first really drew you to the arts. I guess you said you're in an artistic family, but was there anything that maybe sparked your interest first? Yeah, it's hard to know like nurture nature because I I definitely had it on both ends. I think Mm -hmm. the reality is that, you know, 
from my early origin as, I guess, a thought in God's mind. <laughs> he designed me that way. But I remember going to like Shakespeare plays and things. My mom got her master's degree in, in Colorado Springs at the university there. And she'd take me to some of the plays there. And and then I, I was just so attracted to monologues and mm-hmm. making little characters in the mirror and costumes and putting together little plays and ballets and things. And I would go with her to her class. It was like a three-hour class oh, wow. because there was, a, there was a long mirror there in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so basically that was my rehearsal time. And I would go in and <laughs> practice for three hours. <laughs> That's awesome. So Fun. cool. So then how did things kind of take shape throughout your kind of growing up years in school kind of before you went to undergrad? That's a really cool question. So being homeschooled, you know, I was already sort of set apart or different and I was able to get really different and weird and creative and all that. And then I did go to school though, my freshman year of high school. And I really, I really struggled. It it was culturally, I just was so different and I wasn't interested in parties and sex and rap and whatever the stuff was. So I found those outlets where I could find belonging. And one of those was in theater. So I started, you know, lead role, lead role all the way through putting my energy into that choir award, you know, Mm -hmm. competing and winning the state national monologue and the first place recitation. And so, and I found my kind of friends were my teachers. So Mm -hmm. I was sort of like the teacher's pet in every class, but it was a safe setting where I could, they would allow me to to do the reading in class and I would do every character voice. Oh, cool. Yes. You know, so it was kind of silly, but um, I I think the arts in a weird way, and I I love the question you asked because I hadn't really thought of it in this way for myself, but I think the arts kind of, I don't know, fulfilled some sense of belonging or friendship that I really wasn't getting from other people. Mm, That makes sense for sure. And that's super powerful that I think we all are searching for that sense of belonging Mm. in life. And Mm. so that's really neat that there was a way to connect into that, even when things around were maybe didn't feel comfortable or whatever, that you were able to find kind of that niche, niche, whatever (laughs) pronunciation is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So then you said you did your undergrad degree. Was it opera? vocal, like vocal performance or something along those lines? It was. And, and, you know, it's funny. I got into singing very kind of late in the game. I was always doing theater. And my junior year of high school, I auditioned for The King and I, thinking it was a straight play, like not realizing there was music. And so I auditioned and I was like, all right, I guess I'll try to sing. And the teacher saw a natural gift me mm. and she did voice lessons with me every week and sort of trained me in that gift because oh, cool. gave me the lead role and by the end of that show like I I wasn't super polished as a singer but like I could I could sing you know and mm-hmm. I had some confidence with that and she continued to train me kind of a full classical Italian arias just things for the duration of my college career and then when it was time to go to college I was going to major in viola okay my parents liked the idea of like me teaching music lessons out of the home, I think mm-hmm. just like that. For, I always wanted to be like a wife and mother, like, or, you know, that was kind of all I really wanted to do. Yeah. And so they're oh, if I do that, I can still do this. Uh-huh. And so then as time evolved, it went from a viola major to a voice major. Okay. I kind of, viola and violin is something where almost anyone can get good at it if you just practice at it. But with voice, not everyone has that, that instrument mm. or that same quality of instrument. 
So it felt right to kind of lean into, into that gift. And Mm -hmm. I got to play both through college and tour with my choir. And I had a full ride to school and played in the orchestra. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds so fun. And just from reading your bio, I was like, what? And you also did a minor in biblical studies. So that's super fun. I love like how that's going alongside as you're, as you're learning. And yeah. So what was, what was that experience like just in undergrad getting to to kind of focus both on kind of the faith side of things and then also the performance element. Yeah, that's definitely like a thread that I've had throughout my life. It's kind of like the grounding of scriptures and God. And as I've grown toward my 40s, it's like I've learned more about the creativity of God, (laughs) the artistry of God, kind of how those are those are unified and united and there's parallels and all there. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. I, I love I love learning. I love biblical studies. I have kind of an unofficial minor in English and literature. I didn't have an official minor because I didn't want to take the grammar classes, <laughs> but I took, I took all the literature ones and stuff. And nice. I I always, you know, I grew up in Awana. I grew up, my dad was a youth pastor. I grew up in Sunday school and I mm-hmm. I loved I love the Bible. I got saved at four and I'd been a Christian for over 30 years. And I've always had a close, intimate, you know, emotional, beautiful relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's just fascinating, really thinking about like how God weaves our stories together. And there's these, like you said, these different threads that you can see kind of going throughout your life and throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after undergrad, It sounds like you did so many fun things. So I definitely want to ask you about a lot of them, but I'll let you kind of go in maybe chronological order. But what did you do after you graduated? Yeah. So during college, every summer I had worked at like a music school or music camp uh, in Washington State or Pennsylvania or New York. So I got to have those experiences, which was fun. Right out of college, I was a high school teacher. So I taught music, K through 12 English. And I got to put on all the Christmas productions and things. And that was, that was neat. But I, I had always wanted to be an actress. Like I didn't even want to go to college in a sense. I just wanted to jump into career. My parents really encouraged me to go to college and you know, no regrets. That was a good time to do it. And I was able to build on that academically later, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to be an actor. So I moved to Orlando audition for Disney world was hired as Maleficent. Oh, cool. (laughs) Because I'm too Thank you. I'm too tall for the regular princess. Even I have the princess look, but I'm like 5'11". But I got to play the villain and everything. That's so fun. (laughs) So fun. And then I just, I did okay. You know, I I worked professionally for three years, show to show. I did musical theater. I did stunt performing. I did outdoor theater, children's theater. I mean, just every, every type of iteration of straight plays, musicals, and then getting my equity card and SAG eligibility from being a, a clown in the storybook circus in the magic kingdom of Disney World. Yes. Okay. I wanted to yes. hear about this. So what what is it like to be a clown at Disney World? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work and it's um it's quite it's quite hot, you know, in Florida. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your full clown face on. But uh Disney at the time was a you know, real good company and they took good care of me and it was it was nice. They paid for my relocation and the whole network there of people was was quite nice. Oh, I had a kind of a bad director, unfortunately, mm. but everybody else was very nice. And there was tunnels underneath. So you'd kind of get from place to place riding in these golf carts in these underground tunnels. And so cool, yeah. it was yeah, quite the adventure. I've heard a little bit about kind of the underground world there at Walt Disney World. I'm like, just really fascinating and watching kind of the documentaries <laughs> of, of how things work. So yeah, is there like mm-hmm. a couple of memories that stand out to you when you think back on your time there? 
Yeah, you know, I think unfortunately the the powerful negative memory. So my director, I didn't really realize that at the time because I was like so humble and ready to learn. So it was it was a, a trio. So it was myself and then two other performers who had been with the company for like 16 years. Okay. And I was very new, but I was like I'm ready to learn, like working hard, like good attitude. And I don't know what it was with the director kind of like, I don't know if he had it out for me or what, but he would actually like take me aside like almost every day and tell me like, you're the weakest link. You need to get, keep up. You need Mm -hmm. to, and he was kind of berating me and it was, it really started to like affect my mental health and my confidence Mm -hmm. and everything was going so fast because we were there at like 6am to six, you know, 12 hour days rehearsing, like, and so I almost didn't have time to process, think, pray. And then I, I'm not from Orlando. So I was staying in after housing. That was like 45 minutes away. So every night I'm driving there. And I remember just like eating like bagels, like out of a bag and just like trying to get a shower in and then go back at it. And it was, it was very like, when I look back at it, like it was very unhealthy. Yeah. So anyway, then there was a snowstorm at the clown shoe factory. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a fucking fantasy thing. Yeah, that definitely (laughs) sounds like not reality. So, um, so our, our rehearsals were put on hold. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I didn't touch my script. I I didn't, you know, I should have been practicing my, I just didn't something I was like blocked and I ended up dropping out of that show Mm -hmm. because, and I, it it was hard to do that because I thought, no, this is Disney. Like this is equity. This is my big opportunity, but I'm so glad. I guess that's one of the things I learned from it. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I had that self-respect. So weeks later, the director of the whole Disney World Entertainment, he personally calls me, asked me what happened. You know, he said, you're one of the most expressive performers we've ever had. He goes, this isn't the first complaint we've had on this director. Mm-hmm. So then I felt good that I advocated. He goes, if you ever want to come back, whenever you want to come back and work for us, here's my personal email. Wow. Here's my personal number. You please call me and we will absolutely find a place for you. Yeah, that's incredible. It was so good. He really validated you know, my, my talent and like that, these things, the guy was saying that that wasn't truth, mm-hmm. even though he was taking that over me every day. So it was a good lesson of self-respect. So I didn't really get to be a clown all that long, but I still love clowns and like definitely have, have that in me. So uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> that's really fun. And that's such a powerful message as far as, you know, I think that could be something for all of us to hear, you know, what does it look like really to know kind of, is this a healthy environment or not? and try to have that discernment. And then also to, like you said, kind of advocate for yourself and on the behalf of others, you know, coming in the future, but any other words you would want to say, you know, on that topic to artists today, any tips for when you're in a, in a professional career and it's hard sometimes, like you said, to, to not feel like that scarcity mindset of, oh no, if I like let this go, or if I step away, mm-hmm. is that the end of the career for me? You know, right. um, any thoughts on that? I think being true, true to ourselves or true to truth <laughs> in that mm-hmm. case. And from now on and forever, I'd always been very submissive to directors and tried to take, you know, I was humble and tried to take direction, but I think it taught me just to have that backbone, to know what's right, to know what's mm-hmm. true and to reject the lies, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and to be more grounded in what God says of me and what I what I know to be true. All of my other experiences, what what all of the people that are speaking truth are saying, rather than just these kind of lies that the enemy is using to try to tear you down and destroy you. Mm, yeah, that's so good. Such good truth. And I think it's helpful 
when we're kind of figuring out like, okay, which path do I pursue? You know, that can be a helpful filter too. Mm. You know, is this in line with, with the truth of who God says we are and mm. what he has for us and yes. all of that. And, and that can maybe give us that little bit of confidence, like you said, to take that, that hard step. So thank you for sharing. I feel like that's like a good nugget <laughs> that people could take away for sure. Yeah. So something else you mentioned was being a stunt performer. So what kind of stunts did you do? Yeah. So it was cool. I did a, um, a unified audition with, so for listeners that maybe aren't familiar, a bunch of theater companies all come together at once. So it's fabulous. You do one audition and then you, Oh, I like it. I like it. I want to hire you for this or that. And you get a bunch of gigs at once. So one of the jobs was, so this was an outdoor theater audition. And so I got hired on the Bachnalian acting cast at the Pennsylvania Renaissance fair. Mm -hmm. And it was a very high quality Renaissance fair. They didn't just set up tents. They had structures that were pre-built like this whole area. Wow. Okay. And they hire a cast. You train for six weeks on dialects, history, improvisation, character work. I mean, everything because you're in character yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's really intensive and high quality. And I played Mistress Quitley, the innkeeper of the Boar's Head Inn. Love it. <laughs> It was fun. So we had our own stunt show and we also, there was also a human chess match. So it was like rook take pawn and then they like have to fight. And then, so you know, fun. Would be, it was really fun. Our show was cool. We had high falls. So people ah, they're falling off and they land. We also had some high falls into this tub of water, which in the summer felt good. But when it got into November in Pennsylvania with a thing of ice on it, oh, no. that got Real intense. <laughs> yeah, that would be super intense. It was. So there was combat. There was um, heavy weaponry, light weaponry. Okay. And just even as a woman, it just felt good to activate that warrior uh, sense. And, and it was great workout, too. Yeah, so I bet. That's <laughs> true. Got to do a lot of... A lot of physical activity. That's really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So any other things kind of leading up to, because I know another kind of big marker is probably pursuing your MFA, but anything else kind of between undergrad and going and pursuing your master's that stands out to you? Yeah. So, you know, I was doing acting full time. I I had actually at one of my unified auditions, I'd gotten a full scholarship to do a master of fine arts in theater performance mm-hmm. in a, okay. a University of Texas or something around there. But it was right at the time I'd met my husband. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to move away to Texas. I was like, I want to keep talking to you. Yeah. So he kind of disrupted the life plan, you know, in the best way. Right. And so anyway, we dated, we met and married within a year. Okay. It was a fast whirlwind. And then we were engaged for three months. So even Mm -hmm. just planning a wedding, that was kind of like a full-time job. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So we got married and our first place we lived was actually, God blessed us with artist housing. Okay, cool. So we actually lived in an artist community. Aww. And so it was awesome. Yeah. The rent was like 300 bucks. Nice. <laughs> and you just had to contribute artistically. So mm-hmm. we ran, I had been teaching private music lessons since I was like 16 professionally. Mm-hmm. And we ran Haft Music School. We taught violin, viola, voice, and then he taught bass and uh, drums. Oh, fun. Okay, cool. So it was neat. We had our little shop on the bottom, and then we lived on the top. And it was really cute. We lived there for a couple of years. That's awesome. And where was that located in the, the country? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was in um, Pinellas Park, Florida. Okay. And then at that point, you know, we were a collaboration. So we moved to, to South Florida a couple of years later for his undergraduate in architecture. And then three years after that, and that's when I did my my master's because okay. I was like, well, he's in school. I'll go ahead and go back to school too. We can be students together and stuff. Yeah. 
And then we moved to upstate New York for a year for his graduate work in architectural acoustics. So he does like sound design, spatial mm. structure, buildings, you know, architects and engineers. Yes, and- that's super yeah. fun and fascinating. I feel like Definitely. very needed too. And, you know, in the art space, because it's, I'm sure, very specific, like technical. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. Definitely. Definitely a niche too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to pause on the living in an like artist community. That sounds like really fun. And also, I don't know, could like present really great, amazing things and maybe some challenges, you know, what were maybe some things you learned just living in a community of artists like that? So it sounds maybe cooler than it ended up being <laughs> in yeah. the in that we were the first ones okay. to find out about it. So we had our place and then it was something they were developing. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, there's a blessing though. Like you, like there wasn't a ton of people like trying to have campfires at like 1am or something right. in the backyard. Or, <laughs> but um, a lady moved in. They, they also, they sort of stretched it where she had like a bookstore, I think, and someone else like had a cupcake shop. So it was almost like they, they kind of mm-hmm. needed to find some, I mean, not that those aren't artists, but, yeah. you know, they, uh, so we, we pretty much had the place to ourselves. So it was pretty great. But once those people moved in, you know, it was fun. We would collaborate. And um, mm-hmm. she, another lady ran a German clothing store. So that was kind of fun. She's yeah. like, oh, you want some Lederhosen? You want some <laughs> Steins? Or I'm like, all right. <laughs> That's really yeah, fun. Yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, you guys transitioned back, or for you, back to school and mm-hmm. pursuing that MFA. So what exactly did you get your MFA in? So it's in creative writing, flash English, you know, mm-hmm. at, at least it, now when I teach, it's it, kind of qualifies as a master of fine arts in English or or master's in English. At the time I got it, an MFA was a terminal degree for the creative artist. Mm -hmm. So that was as far as you could go. You're like, all right, great. Same with acting, same with all those performance arts. Right. But now they've, now they have a PhD in creative writing. So I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, gotta go. Man, gotta go back. (laughs) No, that's great. That's really fun. So was there a certain point where writing it sounds like you've always had an interest in literature and, you know, even in undergrad, like you mentioned, and just with the theater background. But was there a point where you were you were like, you know, I really would love to explore creative writing, poetry, those those elements? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think I think around the time I was kind of taking a break. It was like in 2013. It was so I did the clown show in like February, March. And then I was like dating my husband, driving back and forth from Orlando. Like it was really crazy. Mm-hmm. That summer, I just took a breath while also then planning for my wedding, which was kind of busy too, but ended up going to, you know, going to counseling, going to therapy, mm-hmm. got diagnosed with like depression and anxiety, which I yeah. have never had before. And I know why, I know why that happened. Mm-hmm. And it kind of knocked me down for a while, but at the same time, it was a light time with meeting my husband. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of that wonderful thing that God brought in to bring a lot of healing and, and happiness. Yeah. And um, I think I wasn't ready to go back to theater. And honestly, I, I have not gone back to theater in 10 years mm-hmm. okay. since that traumatic experience. So I don't know what, like, I'm open to it now, you know, so I don't know what, what the Lord will do with that. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, this is a great time to bring one of these things that's been on the back burner, which is the writing. I want to study it. I want to give my poetry, like I knew I had talent, but I knew it wasn't, it wasn't polished or mm-hmm. I just had a lot to learn. Yeah. And so I thought, this is a great time to, to lean into this and something that's a little less performance and in your face and presentational and kind of more like 
observant and in the background and quiet. And I was kind of like in that energy and um, just felt like a good time to pursue my writing. So yeah, that's really, really fascinating. So with writing, what does your process look like? I'm just curious because I think aside from journaling once in a while and, you know, what I did for school, there's not, I haven't really like been in that, that vein as much. So I'm just curious kind of what your process looks Mm -hmm. like with writing and maybe in particular with poetry. Yeah, totally. So a lot of different, a lot of different things, you know, just the blank page is kind of intense (laughs) when we're like, what the heck? Uh I know that blank page feeling it happens with, you know, what's hilarious. I'm just talking about how like Oh, I don't really do writing. And then I actually just recently published my first book. This is hilarious because I like Yay. don't think of it as like I'm a writer. But anyways, I can totally relate to the blank page thing. And I feel like it's even with choreography when you're like starting from scratch or with a canvas yeah. if you're painting, you know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. That blank page. Totally. And I'm so glad you brought in those other art forms because this principle applies to all artists. Yes. I love cross-genre pollination. I didn't come up with that term but I, I, I love it. You know what, like Whitman, Walt Whitman, right? 1800s poet, he would go to the opera and he just, Oh, something stirred in him. And he wanted to, he was inspired by that. He wanted his writing to have that, that strong sense of voice or passion or connection to the audience. So we can take, you know, a dance inspired by architecture or, you know, we can take these cross genre whether you're just playing music. I mean, for dancers, y'all do that all the time, but other art forms, why aren't writing to music or, you know, am I creating a character based on this, this piece Mm -hmm. or, you know, sculpture and dance or, you know, cooking or, you know, all you just kind of get nature is a huge one. Animals are a huge one. People's faces. I mean, just if we're open to that creative inspiration, it's like all day long. Yeah, for sure. So I like to work in community or in communication with other art forms. I also, there's something called erasure poetry where you black out, you use some other person's text mm-hmm. and you could use the newspaper, whatever you want, and you black out many, many, many of the words and kind of what's left behind is your poem. Mm, that's neat. Yeah. It's neat. And I, I actually created then from that a different form, which I guess I need to name, but you would take those words, but then you would also add your own. Okay. So I like that. So that gave me kind of a generative process of starting with something that then inspired mm-hmm. more <laughs> verbology. Gives kind of that, that little initial push maybe, or not even push, but like you said, inspiration, a little bit of a foundation to start from and then going from there. Yeah. Sometimes I found, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but the idea of limits and boundaries and how that can actually really help creativity, you know, having kind of some sort of structure can Mm. allow a little more freedom in our creativity, which is really fascinating. Yeah. If you have any thoughts on that, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, okay. And one other quick thing too is community. Yeah. If you're in a writing group, if you're in poetry community, all right, we're going to read this poet and talk about it. All right. Here's a prompt. Prompts are great. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to write and then we're going to read. Well, you're going to sit there and write and you're going to produce. I mean, (laughs) nine times out of 10 or more. And so that, that's a very generative thing. Mm -hmm. And as to boundaries, creating creativity, it's, it's an interesting one. I do agree and resonate and understand at the same time, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like boundaries. <laughs> yes. At the same time, they can suppress yeah. expression. So there's there's that kind of complexity of it too, I think. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think it's 
especially when you're maybe in that, that space of like, I don't even know where to start and, you know, can kind of give that. I found, especially with students who are just starting, you know, in dance or something, you know, maybe we're doing some improvisational movement and that kind of thing, having some sort of guide or structure is kind of helpful to get going. And, but yeah, that's true. It's good to also not be, not be boxed in as well. (laughs) I love that. So do you have any current projects that you're working on? Yes, I have two. I've got a collection of poems that just got picked up for publication. Very exciting. That's so exciting. (laughs) Thank you. And then I also have kind of a Christian nonfiction book. It's called Big God, Big Glory. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a, a discovery of who God is in order to kind of more fully and free be who we are. So it explores his lesser known attributes, things like his creativity, Mm -hmm. his uh, childlikeness, joy, spontaneity, gentleness, kind of wildness, not in a sinful type wild, but just that the Holy Spirit is unboxable and uncontainable and often does the unexpected. Yeah, that's so true. That's awesome. So where are you at kind of in the process with with the nonfiction book? So it's totally done. Um, it's been through many rounds of editing. And now it's just I've been submitting it to, you know, traditional publishers and kind of going through those rounds. And then I've already got a cover design. So sort of if they don't bite, but I think it's a good time. It was finished in like 2017. So it's ready to get out there. But I had submitted it to publishers back then. And at the time, I don't think they were open to it because there's aspects of it that call for reformation in the modern North American church. Mm. And I think anything that was criticizing any pastor or any, not nobody by name or anything, but just kind of going, Hey, there's more here. Or, Oh, Hey, like, you know, I've had these, I've had quite a lot of traumas in the church because of my creativity, Mm. because that was squelched and suppressed. And there was kind of these regurgitated man created thinking of, Oh, that's a distraction. Or what if a visitor comes in and things that, that actually aren't in alignment with truth, mm-hmm. but they make human sense. And so I think now might be the better time because of, frankly, of the deconstruction movement. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean deconstructing all the way out of, that's what's very sad is when people throw out the baby with the bathwater and then mm-hmm. they lose their relationship with God. Go, no, please, he's not, he didn't do those things. He, right. Those were the people, the fallible people. But God loves you. God is just sad too that you went through that. His mm-hmm. heart grieves. He never wanted you to experience that in his church. Yeah. So trying to help people who have fallen through the cracks of the North American church, who don't really fit in or they haven't found a church community that accepts them, mm-hmm. but to go, God loves you. Hey, you can get to know him and let me encourage you. Let let us fellowship together. Let us get in the word. Let mm-hmm. let's kind of create something that maybe doesn't fit that norm, but that still honors, you know, the intention of church and community and belonging. Yeah, that's super good. And that's a great maybe topic we could explore a little bit more from what I've learned about you, you know, knowing that you have been in a really wide variety of different denomination experiences and, you know, different church worship moments and even leading worship in a variety of settings. So I'm curious how that has kind of impacted your view, one of worship and kind of, you know, what is worship and how how that can probably be a good bit more expansive than we tend to, you know, think when we think of worship in church. And then also just if you want to go a little bit more into what does it look like to be able to be free in our, mm. well, maybe we'll wait and get into that in a second. Maybe first we'll <laughs> talk about worship and then we can go into that. <laughs> That's great questions. I really appreciate the space to share on this. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in kind of a boxed in Baptist church 
singing hymns. By the way, I love hymns, still love them. Yeah. And not really raising any hand. There was no body. There was no physical component. It was a lot of the mind, which is wonderful. You're studying to show yourself approved and kind of a lot of two things that I'm not no longer really as interested in sort of arguing about predestination versus free will. But right. it was it was a lot of scholarship and mental ascent, which again, that's a beautiful thing and I love it. But the body was neglected and the emotions those are both kind of seen as bad. It was like flesh, carnality, be careful, oh, lead you astray, tempting, lust. Uh. You mm-hmm. only heard about the body. You never learned, what is the body for? How can the body glorify God? What did he make us for? You know, yeah. gratitude for it, all the, these things. God created our bodies, exactly. And yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And our and emotions have, for a purpose. Emotions. Yes. And you, you being a very emotional person, you know, I always say, don't trust your feelings or that'll lead you astray or don't follow your heart. Or, and I'm not saying there isn't truth in those things, even though I say it with kind of the old church lady funny voice I do. Mm-hmm. But there, there is but again, what is the purpose of our emotions? Can they be used to glorify God? You know, is there any benefit to them? Is there any mm-hmm. positive purpose in them? And so anyway, it's been this journey of restoring these parts of me so that I can bring before the Lord the fullness of who I am. And I can live, you know, holistically and kind of redeeming the imagination, like redeeming, you know, all of these things that the devil cannot have. He cannot have dance. He cannot have our bodies. He cannot have our emotions. He cannot mm-hmm. have our mental health or what anything. It's yeah, like, no. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So restoring and redeeming. Okay. So I, I went, I was dating a guy in Lakeland and I went to a church that was more charismatic. That was his church. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been to anything like that. They were having a conference. The whole conference was about using your creative gifts for God's glory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, it was a foreign, because while I was extremely creative, I never saw that in church. I didn't know that there was yeah. crossover there. feels like it's totally separate things. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So at this conference, there was writing. There was there was dance. It was the first time I was exposed to that. Yeah. And it was amazing. And we were doing a worship time, and this old man with a long white beard, you know, was leading worship and said to two women, to myself and another, come forth, daughter, come forth and dance. And it was about the weirdest thing I'd ever heard or seen or what, but it didn't take me two seconds to get up out of my chair and to step into my calling. Wow. And it, it felt so good. It felt so, but afterwards I was scared. I was, did I cause somebody to stumble? Was I a distraction? All of what I had been taught and heard, I didn't want to do the wrong thing. I didn't want to, I was told that was a no-no. I was told you don't do that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And praise, thank you, Lord, for this encouragement. But afterwards, people came up to me and they said, whoa, something broke off of me when you danced or, oh, thank you for your spirit or, wow, you encouraged me. Or, yeah. And I start to see, I started to see the good, the purposes of praise, how not only does it bring glory to God, but it encourages and it edifies the congregation. Mm-hmm. And later I learned it's a witnessing tool. So we don't want to keep it from the unbeliever, but it's something that's meant to be that salt light sitting on a hill that actually attracts other people because they're like, whoa, something's real here. Like yeah. the joy of the Lord is alive here. Like, uh-huh. you know, and there was actually a Catholic lady that came to a church that I was dancing at. And first she did get freaked out and left. And then she came back and she said, that was the reason I came back is I, I'd gone to my Catholic and there's different types of Catholic churches I know, but 
just the traditional Catholic, you know, thing and head down and the shame and the works and all. She goes, I'd done that. And this was something different and alive. So mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. I think there's a real power in kind of reconciling that creativity that is from God, you know, and mm. also, like you said, kind of the mind truth, you know, what is it, you know, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, you know, our our body as well. And yeah. just all those elements of who we are mm-hmm. and figuring out, you know, yeah, God, what are you, what's your heart in this? So I love mm-hmm. that. And it's a, a really yes. good pursuit, I think, to kind of dive into as, yes. especially when you feel like, okay, I'm being called to step into this um, and mm-hmm. not being held back by, yes. by fear or those outside voices, you know? Yes. Yeah. And even in the idea of when God is maybe speaking to us to talk to somebody or to, you know, whatever it is, there's always that, that sense of uh, fear of man, that barrier there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just trusting like he's going to meet us there. He'll meet Mm -hmm. us even when there's that pushback, maybe. Totally. Yeah. And a quick note on that is I think, you know, I want our pastors and our leadership, they need to be helping people with that to mm-hmm. go, you have permission to worship God in freedom. Yeah. You know, oh, freedom of worship is here. You know, my ancestors made great risks and some of them died coming to this country for freedom of worship to get out from the suppression and the oppression of that Catholic rule. Mm-hmm. And freedom of worship, I mean, that it's a worship service and all of heaven, we're going to be doing that. Yeah. So. You know, but for the pastors to really give that verbal permission from the pulpit, because we, some of us will go and risk ourselves and be living sacrifices and, you know, be obedient to God at all costs, even to get rejected or misunderstood, whatever. And that's beautiful. But how nice would it be to, there's already so much there that says no, if it's okay and it's allowed. First of all, they need to learn that it's okay and it's allowed, but then they need to encourage people, not telling them you have to do this, because again, Freedom goes both ways. Right. Just to say, you're free to. You're free to explore with the Lord. Worship, I think, can be reduced to just a few things. Connect and follow. Love that. Connect. So connecting with God and then also following his lead. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's very but yeah, if you want to dive into that, that's great. Yeah, just boiling it, boiling it all down. And you had said a while back about like something along the lines of like, what is God's heart? Mm -hmm. It's just such a good and kind of obvious, simple question that many aren't asking, you know? And I think we experience worship, well, it's a church choir or it's a violin playing or sort of whatever our experiences show us. That's kind of how people define praise or worship. Mm -hmm. And there's, we need to go to the original source. We need to go to the, the word and delve into, again, there's where that mental study of scripture served me in my journey because while I was able to learn that I could connect to God through prayer, even outside of scripture, like I didn't know that growing up. I I only heard God when I was reading the Bible. I didn't mm-hmm. know that I could pray and listen, you know, about things in my life or that. I just never knew he could speak to me in that way as well. Yeah. So that's that opened sense. up. Yeah. Yes. Looking at so basically <laughs> praise is an English word. Right. And again we define it by what we've seen. When you go into the original language, the Old Testament was in the Hebrew, New mm-hmm. Testament, Greek. But in the in the original language, I, I basically looked up, what is praise? And I found this one Greek, okay, that means this. Interesting. Then I go and find the word again or rejoice or something that's basically a yeah. praise word. And I, I look 
wait, that's a different word. Mm. That's a different, that's not the, but that you're just defining that same thing as praise. Right. I've now, right. I've now found over 47 different praise expressions. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that neat? And we all just got to slap on the word praise. I mean, that's the best we have in our English, but most of these words include a physical component. Mm, mm-hmm. That was the big revelation is we've lost the body. Yeah. A few examples that you've got, you know, yada, the hands raising, shooting out like an arrow. We, we do see some of the hand raising in church. That's one of the acceptable forms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> halal is the most common word for praise. When you look at praise in the original, you often will see halal. It's where we get hallelujah, mm-hmm. halal. Yahweh, Halal, Yehovah. It means, it's one of the wildest ones, to rave, well, to boast in the Lord, to be clamorously foolish, to shine, to make a show, to be on display for the glory of God. That's really cool. Not good. And so much would shut that down. Don't perform. Don't make a spectacle of yourself. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. We are called to make a spectacle. We are called mm-hmm. to to be on display. To I didn't make myself beautiful. I didn't. I didn't do anything. So it's not. I'm not prideful about it. But I am called to put proper lighting on this living art, so that others can see mm-hmm. and and respond in praise to the Lord, or they can fall to their knees and know know who He is. Creation declares the glory of God. We are His most preeminent creation, mm-hmm. and so how loudly must we declare? Yes, I love that so much. And I've heard some on different words for praise, but I love that you've really gone deep into that and really studied the different the different words. And you said 40, how many? 47? 47. Wow. Let me give you like three more just to kind of give a little overview. A couple I really like. So a lot and a lots are jumping for joy. Ooh, nice. I like that. Those are fun. <laughs> One of my favorite is ghoul. It's G-U-W-L. And it's essentially a revolution of joy. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been, you're a dancer yeah. and other listeners are, if you've ever been in a, I don't know, free environment where the Holy Spirit's leading, you might have done some circles or felt some circles in the spiritual. Yeah, I love um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the paddle turn. I'm a huge paddle turn person. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and there's something of the ghoul in there, which is this revolution of, of joy or to be moved by the influence of the actual original text says violent emotion. I don't think they mean you know bad hurting people, but just that that intensity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's that passion in that, that wild, fervent emotion. And that's actually what God is doing over us in, for example, Zephaniah 317. We all know that verse. He rejoices over us with loud singing. Mm-hmm. He rejoices. The word rejoice is ghoul. Uh-huh. He's doing that revolution over us. He's spinning over us with joy and love. That's so cool. Yeah. And then the loud singing gets on to another topic. We're talking mostly about physical, but there are also mm-hmm. different vocal expressions beyond just singing. And that one, the loud singing, it isn't like, oh, oh you know, orderly mm-hmm. or whatever. It's some kind of a stridulous sound or a, a squeaking door sound or like a little kid on Christmas morning, just a squeal. So yeah. it's neat to think of God like that. Yeah, you know, I don't God think we typically dancing. ever picture God like squealing for joy, you know. Wow, that's a really cool picture for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how, you know, he talks about like childlike faith and, you know, there's definitely mm. a sense of like we almost need to get like back to that, that sense mm. of joy and freedom mm. and not being 
in this self-consciousness mm-hmm. as much maybe. So yeah. that's so the cool. little children, let the little children come yeah. to him, you know, uh-huh. he, such as these, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those. Those are all really, really fun. So speaking of, we are talking about joy and also that idea of just walking free, you know, and living in freedom, any thoughts or things you've been learning about what does it look like to truly walk in freedom as a believer? Hmm. So this one's been really like a lifelong journey that I'm, I'm mm-hmm. there yet. And I don't know if I'll ever get quite get there until I'm fully sanctified in heaven, but I definitely grew up with like many of us, I think, at least those that grew up in Christian cultures, there was a lot of suppression. There was a lot of, you know, shh, not too loud. Don't draw attention to yourself. Uh, you know, act your age. And, mm-hmm. and, and our society as a whole does that. If you, if you go outside and look at people our age, you know, they're walking essentially sort of gray, all the same, just suitcase or whatever backpack. It doesn't matter what they're carrying. They're not dancing square to square. Mm-hmm. They're not skipping. They're not playing hopscotch. They're not painting the trees. They're not twirling. They're, they're not five years old. You know, they're, yeah. they've lost that. And some of them aren't even conscious that, that of that. And they're, they're cool with it or they're, they're not aware of it. Kind of like in church, people are happy just with singing. They're not aware that there's more. So they're not. Once you're aware that there's more, mm-hmm. at least for me, I can only speak to my experience that's where the suffering begins. Mm. When you feel tight inside the pod and you're not being yourself, truly, you're not, you're not fully allowing, you're not releasing that childlike or that expression or that moreness or that that's creativity, right? Yeah. It's, it's all of the color. It's all the other, it's all of the, the possibility and the opportunity that's there that, you yeah. know, we don't always access. That's so good. Yeah. So I guess just I I don't have all the answers on this. I'm constantly pursuing that though. But I I was told, you know, I've just been told a lot of things whenever I did try to be free as a child and those are very those experiences are very ingrained in yourself. I was 15 or 16 and I was we had a cakewalk at my high school. And rather than just walking square to square, I danced. When I came off the platform, my grandma was like, you've got to act your age and people will think you're on drugs. And Mm. there was this sense. And I have other many experiences like that. I went up to the front of the rock concert and was dancing. And my dad said, only loose women dance in the front. Mm. Just many, many things spoken that told me it's not okay to be who you are. You've got to act. It is acting because it's not authenticity. You've got to act whatever normal or stop that. Or it's not okay to be a woman in a body. Mm-hmm. There's something innately not right about that or just a lot of things were ingrained and I'm trying to break free of those. But I, I really do. I will say, honestly, I do struggle with people pleasing. Mm-hmm. I do struggle with the fear of other people's potential negative responses to my expression. Yeah. Yeah. I understand <laughs> I, that I do feeling. struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both like being misunderstood right. and how like that's difficult. And I guess any, any wisdom that comes up for me now would just be, I need to ingrain in myself, my identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time, I was kind of like doing a lot of like self-help type things and like things that they're still truths. So it's not that they're totally apart from God or anything, yeah. but they weren't Christian based. They were like, unleash your inner unicorn. And like, 
a lot of it was was fun and I learned stuff. But I think the power for me is going to be in capital T truth. Yeah, I think it's going to be in saying these affirmations over myself that that I I will stand for because this is truth. Mm-hmm. And and like for example, how much the Bible says, "Fear not." Yeah. And really get to obeying that. Yeah, exactly. Just different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how many decisions we make on a daily basis out of fear. Mm-hmm. Been realizing that in my own life too. And like, okay, you need to not need to, but just kind of recognizing mm-hmm. again that identity. Who are we? Who does mm-hmm. God call us? You know, and um how mm-hmm. how he's he designed us and not being essentially a slave to fear, you know, being, yes, recognizing being it's a child of fear. God. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> knowing like, okay, I recognize there's a fear here and then speaking, what is the truth mm-hmm. in this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That conscious. So I'm a certified yoga instructor. I was, oh, I was cool. trained at yoga faith. It's a Christian yoga school in Washington state. Okay. And one of the things we do, and some secular spiritual people do too, is affirmations. But I think that's very powerful. Just speaking out loud the truths of who we are. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to do more work with affirmations to just kind of not brainwash, but to renew my mind, right. you know, to get that truth ingrained in me and to, to take that into me. And I like what you said too, which is goes into this consciousness of conscious choice mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, I see that like, I'm scared. Like I'm starting to want to not share the gospel with this person or mm-hmm. like, this is what I, my flesh easy wants to do. And now, however, okay, what is God saying? Mm-hmm. And like, let's do it. And don't think too much or analyze or get stuck in here. Get into the body and get action and go. Massive action, move forward. Bravery, yes. faith, boldness, courage. Exactly, exactly. Yes, amen. So much goodness. And one thing I like to do, which I feel like we just did, but if there's anything else you want to share, <laughs> um, but I like to ask mm-hmm. everyone that comes on the show, if there's something on your heart that you'd like to share with other artists today. Man, God really loves you and you are so special and he made you just the way you are in him. Your color, your whatever that makes you different. Mm -hmm. That was part of the flavor and the favor of God. Man has their order. They think, you know, but look at the rainforest. You know, it may look chaotic to man with all these different trees and vines and shapes and animals and colors, man may have thought, no, God's order is to groom it in perfect triangles, all the same. Mm. But that wasn't God's design. And so God's design is right and it's perfect. And I just want to encourage all of you to rest in him, Mm. to abide in the vine, John 15. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Our human efforts know God's mercy mm-hmm. <laughs> and God's goodness. And he will do the work. He will fight for us. He will go out before us. He will prepare the way. And sometimes like the Psalms tells us, it's just a lamp into our feet and a light into our right. path. So that lamp is just giving us the next maybe couple steps. Yeah. And then as we walk in faith and are faithful with these little things God's given us, he'll show us the next steps and we'll continue to walk and he will raise us up and we will share in his glory. We share in his sufferings, but we, if the promises we will share in his glory and we mm-hmm. carry the glory and the goodness and the power and the holiness and the righteousness of God. Amen. That's super good <laughs> encouragement for everybody today. And just a reminder too of truth. So, and for just a fun question, um, what is one of your favorite things right now? 
Yeah. So I really like, I like ecstatic dance. I don't know if, if listeners have heard of that. I haven't. It's fun. It's not a um, Christian thing, but it basically there's no drugs. There's no alcohol. It's just a free space for movement. Mm-hmm. There's no talking on the dance floor. And it's really fun. It's been kind of an outlet where I haven't found that a lot in church. And so I've gone to ecstatic dance, but I like that. You just go and dance. It's just really nice. And I've been able to witness to people there. And that's been cool, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then organic gardening. I'm taking classes in all things sustainability, preserving, prepping, canning, (laughs) growing my own food, you know, things like that. I just want to get more into, you know, eventually have a homestead and things. So I'm trying to prepare and learn those skills. That's awesome. Well, Mm -hmm. this has been super fun, Kendall. Thank you so much for being able to just come and join us today and share from your experience and things that are on your heart and that God's been, you know, working in your life. Mm -hmm. Would love to let people know um, how they can connect with you and your work. And I know you have things that are hopefully soon to be published. So maybe they can kind of follow and hear when those things are, are out and ready to access. So what's the best way to do that? Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Um, so yeah, my Instagram is at Kendall Haft. It's K-E-N-D-A-L-L-H-O-E-F like Frank, T like Tom. And then uh, I've got a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Kendall Hope Fire. Kendall Hope Fire is kind of my Christian writing. And then my other Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Kendall Haft, same spelling, Kendall Haft Poet is my kind of more, not secular, but you know, my poetry page. Awesome. Well, blessings to you. And thanks again for spending time with us today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. You can find all the links, full show notes, and additional resources on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. If you're interested in supporting the show, some great ways to do that are to share it with a friend, to rate and review wherever you're listening. And then also, if you're interested in giving financially, you can check out our Patreon community where you get bonus content each month and have a special part in helping make this podcast possible. You can access our Patreon community on the link at our website or by going to creativeimpactpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you all so much for listening to the Creative Impact Podcast. The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. Until next time, remember that you were designed to create. You were made to inspire. Continue living with purpose and making an impact. I'll see you next time, friends.